are listening to the Traditional Outdoors Podcast. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Traditional Outdoors Podcast. I want to start off this week by giving Nick View another shout out. Just a, a big thanks to him for joining me last week. It was it was great to catch up with him in general and um, get more information on his successful deer hunt. I'd, I'd seen some pictures and we traded a few messages, but really didn't have a lot of detail about it at all. So it was it was really good to catch up with him. And um, Nick, I know you're listening, so I hope we can do it again. Uh, I'll also throw out uh, in a couple of weeks, actually in a little over a week now, um, my buddy Tom's going to be coming down. We're going to be hunting some here in Georgia and he's going to be staying with me for about a week. So, um, hopefully maybe he and I can get together and record something and, and maybe we'll have some excess. We can do something in the field or something. We'll see how it goes, but, uh, pretty sure Tom will, will show up on the podcast again here fairly soon. Uh, let's see. Also, for, I, I have to say, I really do appreciate all the emails, all the messages. I do try to respond to all of them. Uh, there may be one that gets slips through the crack or something because I do have, uh, still have a lot going on work-wise and, and trying to get some time in the field. But I, if, I, if I've missed you, hadn't seen a response, follow up with me because I, you know, again, something can slip through the cracks and I, I really don't want that. But, um, a couple key individuals and I, I don't think they'll mind me giving them a, sh- a shout out here. Uh, I got a message a while back on Facebook and I've been re- meaning to bring it up and I just keep forgetting it. But, uh, Troy Delaney, I hope I pronounced that right. Um, sent me a message. He got his first deer with a recurve recently. Uh, there's just nothing like that first one. The, f- the first deer I shot with traditional gear was, uh, was a doe as well. Um, I shot that with, a um, John Schultz, uh, trophy hunter longbow that actually Nick view, uh, has in his possession currently. I'm not sure if he shot a deer with that thing or not yet. I have to ask him that next time I get him on, but I don't think so. Um, but that was, that was the, the first deer I took was with that longbow. It was a nice doe on public land and I've been hooked ever since. Um, let's see also, um, Big congrats to Mike Kearney. Mike shot me a couple of different um, emails, uh, but he, he the first one he sent me was he actually took um, his first deer with trad gear in over a decade, um, and he was sharing some information about his era build and so forth, some uh, things he heard on this podcast got him thinking, uh, but huge congrats on on that, uh, on that deer, Mike. And I know Mike also sent me a follow-up asking my thoughts on uh, Northern Miss Longbows, which I can't say nothing, nothing bad about Steve Teray or, or the Longbows. He, he produces just very fine pieces of equipment. I still own a few. Um, hopefully next year I can get back into my normal for me, my normal draw weight range. And I'll be, I actually have a, uh, Northern Miss that I haven't, haven't hunted with in a few years. And I'm really starting to get the, the itch to get back out there with the, the bow is a 68 inch, um, classic. Uh, it's actually got, um, antler tip overlays off of the, I think it was the first, it was either the first antlered buck I took with traditional gear, or it was the first antlered buck I took with a Northern Miss longbow. I can't remember exactly. I'd have to go back through my notes, but anyway, uh, Steve built that bow for me. That bow's name is Bonafide, and that's a whole nother story we can talk about another day. But um, 
love the sweet shooting longbow and I love hunting with it. I just, you know, I, I like picking up different bows and I, I really do want to, to get back to that one. Um, had another shout out. Oh, I wanted to give a, a big shout out to Jason Samkoviak, um, my, my Georgian neighbor. Now Jason's actually completed his move from Michigan to, to Georgia. So I'm really looking forward to getting together with Jason. I doubt I'll get together with him during uh, deer season, but I'm really hoping to chase some pigs with him sometime in January, February timeframe. But, uh, I listened to a lot of Jason's episodes. I can't say that I, I have listened to them all. Uh, some, some episodes, you know, they just don't, they don't pique my interest for one reason or another. And, uh, I don't listen to a lot of, uh, podcasts anymore myself, especially in the hunting community. I do listen to some other podcasts, but, um, when you, when you produce content, it's sometimes it's hard to actually sit and make time to listen to content. But, uh, Jason's one that always, you know, I'll always look at his episodes each week and, um, Recently, he had an episode that uh, he shared, Are Mrs. Okay? Uh, and I think that was the name of it. But that one immediately piqued my interest and I hopped into the episode. And as it just so happened, I listened to that probably a few days, maybe a week uh, before, you know, what we're really going to be talking about on this week's episode was a, a hunt that I had that just didn't go as planned. But, um, you know, there was just some great points from Jason and I really enjoyed listening to it. And if you haven't heard it, I would strongly recommend you go, you know, you go find that and listen to it after you finish this episode. Um, but you know, as I was listening to the episode, I was listening to the things that Jason was pointing out and thinking about it. And most of us as traditional bow hunters, I think, you know, we choose to hunt with traditional gear for that additional challenge, um, that the challenges that are just associated with traditional bow hunting. Uh, you know, we, we have to be close. Um, we have to know that our, our shooting gear is, it's slower than modern counterparts. I don't necessarily see that as a, um, uh, as a negative. Uh, I think there's, there's some positives that go with, you know, a slower bow. Um, but it is, it, they are slower than modern counterparts. Um, and you know, I, I think there are some, but for the most part, generally speaking, we don't have sights or optics on our bows. Um, and regardless of what aiming method you use, it's not the same as a sight, especially if you combine a sight with a peep sight, like, you know, people do with, uh, and they've done for years with compounds. Um, and all of this, in my opinion, equates to a higher probability that something may go wrong. Uh, and it doesn't, in my opinion, it doesn't matter how much time you spend practicing, how good a shot you are, you know, at some point, something's just going to go wrong. Um, and I was thinking about this as I was just jotting out some notes for this episode and, you know, Robert Carter, um, and Chris Spikes both, uh, you know, I've, I've met Robert face to face a few times now. I hope to spend some time hunting with him maybe this, you know, coming winter, uh, Chris Spikes, I've yet to meet, but I think I watch every video the guy puts out. Um, and you know, in all honesty, and I have no problem with this whatsoever, but in all honesty, I look at, you know, some of the shot placement that Chris takes is a lot like some of the shot placement that, that I will take. It's not, you're not always shooting at a perfectly broadside stoetic target. I mean, dear move, they come in from odd angles. 
But if it's a shot you know you can make and you know you've got the equipment to get to the vitals, you know, in most most situations, I would say take it. Now, there are some exceptions. Um, you know, quartering two shots, I will not take in any in any situation. But anyway, I don't want to go down that rabbit path. What I was going to say there was those guys take shots that in general are really close, especially Robert Carter. I can't remember the last time I saw Robert Carter take a shot that was, you know, exceeding 15 yards. And he'll tell you, he wants them, you know, inside 12, the closer, the better. Um, and that is probably the biggest thing we can all do, uh, to reduce the probability of something going wrong is close. I mean, the, the less time it takes that arrow to reach the target, the less chance there are, Chances are for something to go wrong, animal movement, striking, you know, an object, wind, whatever it may be. Um, and I, you know, every time I think about things like this, and I thought about Robert quite a bit on this hunt that we're, I'm going to be talking about, but uh, Robert, you know, he, he has the patience. He will wait till that animal is very close and it's not easy to do. Um, I like animals to be really close and I've taken... I've taken quite a few animals that were inside 10 yards, a lot of them on the ground. Uh, but I will also say if I feel like the conditions are right, or sometimes if my, if my, my nerves just get the better of me, you know, I may take a, I may take a shot. I've taken shots at animals at, at 18 to 20 yards. Um, we're talking about whitetails, but my pronghorn antelope, we stepped that off at almost 28 yards. It was a very long shot, but they don't, in my opinion, they don't react the same as, as whitetails. But anyway, um, it's, it's sometimes hard to get close. And I think it takes, it takes a more seasoned hunter. And in this case, I would say a more seasoned traditional hunter to wait on those animals to get really close. It's just something that, um, it comes, it comes with experience, not saying there aren't younger guys that can't do it. I'm just saying, I think, for the most part, a lot of the longer shots that get taken are from people that are coming off of compounds or other weapons and getting into traditional bow hunting. And it's, it's tough. You want to be successful. And, you know, I, I will say when I switched and started hunting strictly with traditional gear, um, I think it took two seasons before I actually uh, got a shot at an animal cause I did limit my shots to 20 yards. Even then I would not shoot over. And, you know, going from, a you know, when I was hunting with a compound, the most I would shoot was 30 yards, but that 10 yards between 30 and 20 yards, it's a big difference when you're talking about, you know, learning the animals, learning, uh, their habits and paying attention to details and the woodsmanship that goes with closing up that 10 yard gap is huge. And I would say it's probably even more so going from 20 to 10. It's a, it's a steep curve, uh, and it takes time, but from a, from a things going wrong perspective, as I'm getting ready to go into a, a discussion about a recent hunt where I didn't follow my own advice, you know, I don't know that the animal would have come uh, closer. It was on a path that would not bring it closer. And I took a shot that was about 18 yards. Um, things went wrong. I, I truly do not believe my shot would have, I think my shot would have been good had it not been for outside forces. Um, 
it looked great. It, well, I wouldn't say it looked great. Things happened too quick. It felt great. You know, you just, a lot of times you just have that feeling. Yeah, that's it. As soon as the, as soon as the arrow slips from your fingers or the string slips from your fingers, we all know what I'm talking about. If you've, if you've taken that, it just feels right. And this, this just felt right for a split second. Um, so anyway, that was a little bit of a sidetrack there, uh, before I get into the actual hunt, but I think it's a big part of things going wrong that nothing will reduce the opportunity for something to go wrong than by getting close. And when I say close, I mean, where you can see the animal breathing that kind of close, um, which is a lot harder also if you're hunting from an elevated position, which I was, and that goes into some of the things that I was saying when I was talking about Chris and some of the shots he takes, I take those shots too. And I take them all day long and I knock on wood. Um, I, I, I haven't had a bad result from a steep angle shot where I know I can, I know I can reach the vitals. Um, but that's a discussion for another day. So, um, let's talk about my, my recent successful hunt. Uh, this was November 22nd. So, um, a little over a week ago, uh, I had actually slipped into a location. This was on, on some private land that I hunt. Uh, I had not hunted this since the episode I, I published a while back talking about being in a funk. I tried to, and I did, I got out of that um, comfort zone. I'd let myself get into, got out on some public land. I had some success in North Carolina. I had some success on public land here in Georgia. Um, and I forget the, the reason now, but I just decided one afternoon or the next day, I think it was, uh, the area that I wanted to hunt. I had not been in all year. Um, it, it, I need a specific win that I really hadn't had much of on days I could hunt, which was a, a West to Northwest win. Um, and so I, I had that on Friday, uh, let's see, Friday after I'm trying to remember the day now, I'd have to go back and look at the dates. Um, whatever day it was, the, the previous day I had an afternoon where I could get out for a couple of hours. Um, and I slipped into this location with my stand, my gear, um, was quiet as I could be slipped up into the, the tree, got my stand, uh, in place got my camera arm in place. Um, and I think I in, only ended up with like an hour of actual shooting light, maybe an hour and a half that afternoon. I did see one, uh, one deer off in the distance. Uh, it was behind me 50, 60 yards, never offered a shot. Um, but my plan really was to get everything set up so I could slip in the next morning and be super quiet. Um, I knew it was an area where I had a good chance of seeing, um, bucks and does. Um, and it, I guess I should probably go into a little bit more setup about this. So it is an area I've hunted in previous years. It typically gets better around the rut and into the late season. We have an extended rut here in Georgia. There are a lot of young, uh, does that come into estrus after the majority of the does. Um, and there are a lot of, uh, does that either, I, I think they either miss, um, a successful breeding or whatever, they come back into estrus, you know, mid December. I mean, I see it all the time. Uh, and this particular area is on the edge of a, a, a large privet thicket. And I was hunting on a downwind side of that privet, meaning 
does in their feeding, maybe bucks in their feeding. Um, a lot of times buck bucks will work the downwind side of, of thick stuff like that, looking for, uh, or scent checking for does. So it, it just felt like a good time to actually move into that spot. I'll probably hunt it three or four more times before the end of the end of the season. But the next morning I wanted to slip in as quietly as possible and be in the, be in the tree at least an hour before daylight. So the next morning, this was on the 22nd, I slipped into the location. Um, I, I couldn't make up my mind which way I wanted to approach the stand. Uh, and as it turned out, it probably, it probably cost me a younger deer, but actually led to a bit more success on the larger buck that came in later. Um, but I picked my route as carefully as I could so that I wasn't, I didn't have, it's, it's pretty thick. Uh, I should say that the whole area is pretty thick and I, I wanted to try to avoid touching as much as possible. Um, so I climbed up in the stand and got my camera set up and settled down and was just, you know, as quiet as I could be listening. Heard some animals moving around. Don't know if it was whitetails or coyotes, but you know, I heard some steps and as it got light and moved into shooting light, very shortly after it was light enough to shoot, I caught movement and saw a, a young buck. This was a spike or a forkhorn. I never put glass on it, but it, it was moving towards me. And sure enough, it got right to the path that I walked in and it never really spooked, but you just knew it knew it was, it was sniffing everything. It was moving very cautiously. Uh, and ultimately it turned and went back in the general direction. It came probably got within 20 yards. Um, but I never, I never thought about, I never even put tension on the string. I mean, it was just a lot of, a lot of thick stuff between me and the animal. And it was just a smaller, it was a smaller buck. If it had been a five, six to 10 yard chip shot. Yeah. I would have taken it all day long, but, um, I felt like I had a better opportunity to see something bigger that morning. And I didn't want to ruin the morning by taking a, uh, a, a long shot through a lot of, uh, sticks and limbs and just thick stuff overall. So I let that animal walk, uh, and settled back in and, and was, you know, being as, aware as I can, could be scanning, you know, the environment as much as possible, um, slowly, not trying to make any, any sharp movements. And about 30 minutes later, um, I caught movement, um, sort of behind me. And it, it's hard to explain, but if my stand was facing in a general easterly direction, trying to get this right. So, if I was facing east, it means the, you know, north was to my left, south was to my right, and west was at my back. And again, the wind was generally blowing out of the northwest. The little spike that had come in earlier came in almost straight towards me. So my wind would have been, you know, kind of across to his left. Um, and I'm sure he ended up winding me again once he once he got out of sight and into my scent stream. But but this deer was coming from behind me, moving from my uh, back to my left side and was nowhere near close enough for a shot, probably 30 to 40 yards out. 
um, hit a grunt call a couple of times, really didn't pay me any attention whatsoever. And, and I could tell, uh, it was a nice, it was a nice buck. Um, but again, he paid me no attention as I'm watching him, just as he got to the point where I was kind of looking at his, um, rump tail end as he's walking away, I caught moving again and there was another buck coming behind him. And this one was still a decent buck, but it was smaller. And it ultimately, I think this is probably the buck that I ended up shooting later in the morning, but it followed the exact same path, same thing with the grunt. And I was, I wasn't blowing the grunt very aggressively. And I think I may have blown the grunt three times total. It was not a lot. Uh, but again, I, if there was any reaction whatsoever, I couldn't, I couldn't detect it, uh, through the thick stuff and at the distance. I still think that this deer probably came back to investigate the sound of that grunt later, but we'll, we'll get there. Um, so he, he followed the other buck. They ultimately just moved completely out of my sight and they did both take that path of, of following the, the outside edge of that privet thicket. Uh, and I'm sure they were, they were scent checking. It was, it kind of surprised me to see two bucks that size together. Um, but they weren't really together. It wasn't like a bachelor group. The younger buck was definitely following behind and he wasn't, he wasn't in any hurry to get close to the other buck, but I would say they were probably separated by 40 to 50 yards, maybe a little bit more. Um, Anyway, and ultimately they both, they both moved out of range and I could not see them anymore. So I settled back in just, you know, looking, scanning, watching for movement, trying to catch an ear flick, that kind of thing. Saw several squirrels, not much else. And I would say it was probably another 30 minutes or so after I lost sight of these two bucks, I caught movement coming in the direction towards me from the direction that they had been, and I really couldn't pick it out. I just saw it for a second, almost dismissed it as a squirrel. And another minute or two, and I heard, I heard steps. And again, when I say this is thick, you just have to see it to understand how thick the area is. But a few minutes later, this buck stepped out. And at the time that I first saw him, he was probably 30 yards away um, and he was coming from my left. And if he had continued in a straight path, he would have, he would have walked right in front of me at say 15 yards, probably maybe even less, but he came in, um, was moving really slow. He was scent checking everything. He was sniffing the ground. He was sniffing leaves and twigs. And I, I didn't really see him eating anything, but he was scent checking everything. And, about, I'd say 25 yards out, he turned and started in a path that was going to bring him to my left side. Um, and it was still going to be a, a, a lengthy shot. I think, you know, depending on which way he twisted and turned, cause he wasn't walking a straight line. Again, he was just ambling through. I was expecting him to be right on the edge of my, my range. And I kept, thinking, do I want to shoot? Do I not want to shoot? It is a long shot. However, I will say the path as I'm watching this animal is clear. If he, if, if he continues and gives me that, that broad shot, side shot at 18 yards, there's nothing. It's open. 
surprisingly open for the area I was in. So ultimately I decided if he continued on and I got the shot, I was going to take it. Now, a lot of traditional bow hunters will know what I'm talking about. From the time I saw him, I'm watching his demeanor. I'm watching his behavior. He is relaxed. He is not nervous at all. Um, but once I decided to shoot, I stopped looking at the antlers. I stopped looking at really his anything from the neck forward. And I'm really just focused on there's the, there's the spot I want to hit. There's the little tuff of hair that I want, you know, that I want to put this arrow into. And that's really what I'm focused on. And when he stepped into the spot where I decided I was going to shoot, I kept my focus dead on that, on that spot. And I came to full draw and I anchored and I released. And as soon as I released, I heard the arrow hit a limb. And this limb is, is, I don't know, two foot maybe in front of the bow and the arc of the arrow. I mean, it, I, I didn't think to look, I'm dead focused on this animal and the arrow hit a limb and I could tell it was flying a bit erratically. And this is not, I'm not getting into an EFOC, a heavy air, none of that argument, but I will say it corrected itself pretty quickly. That was the one thing that I could, I mean, it was flying straight. And if you look at the video, which I haven't decided yet if I'm going to do anything with the video or not, but you can see the arrow is straight when it, you know, when it comes into view of the camera, it is flying straight. It's no longer flying erratically. And I do contribute that to the weight of my arrows and the, the forward of center that I have on the arrows uh, ultimately did that make any difference in the result? I can't say, I won't say it would be pure speculation at this point, but what happened next in my eye, as things played out, it looked like the arrow was, I saw the radical flight in my naked eye and then the arrows there. So it's all happens very quick. And all I see is the arrow looks like it bounces and then it's, caught up in the animal and it's just flopping and lands flat on the ground. And I thought, I truly thought the arrow was flying so erratically. It just bounced off the side of the animal. And, you know, as it was running, it caught it in its feet and flipped the arrow. And there I see it laying on the ground. Now, the one thing that I did notice about the animal that I almost discounted, and I really wasn't thinking about it in the next 30 minutes that I sat there in the tree, was as it walked off, it, well, let me refresh, let me back up. It ran at the shot, but it didn't run far. It only ran maybe 10, 15 yards, which tell, initially told me, well, that, it wasn't really that spooked. It just ran from the noise and didn't know what happened. But as it walked off, the tail was down and it was, it was flicking back and forth, which indicates it was hit and it looked like it was favoring the leg on the side that the arrow hit. And I do remember thinking, well, you know, maybe it, it nicked that leg or something and there's, you know, a little bit of blood there or something and it's, you know, it, it doesn't really know what happened. So it's shaking from shaking the leg from that little bit of a pain or whatever. And, and I sat there and watched it not 
quickly, not slowly, but just a normal gait walked out of what I could see, which again is only about 40 to 50 yards. Once it gets past that, depending on the path, I can't, I can't see anything. So after it moved out of my sight, I sat down fully dejected, fully irritated with myself, turned the camera off. Didn't, I didn't talk into the, I didn't do anything. I just turned the camera off and sat down. I was thoroughly frustrated with myself. And at some point I thought, you know, that other buck that was with him may come back. So I, I did go ahead and knock another arrow. I was 99% confident that I had completely whiffed that shot because the limb and that animal was fine. Um, and had that other buck shown up, I'm sure I would have waited for a little bit closer shot. I'm sure I would have checked my, my surroundings, especially right in front of the bow. But I was prepared to, if that, if that buck shown, had shown, I was prepared to take another shot. Ultimately it did not. Uh, so I'm guessing it was around 30 minutes or so after the shot lowered my gear. Um, well, took my camera arm camera down packed everything up, lowered my gear, uh, took the stand down with me as I went. I wasn't planning on hunting it again for several weeks. So I brought my stand down. I brought all the sticks down. And when I got to the ground, uh, I think I went ahead and packed my stand and my sticks together, but I didn't put them in my pack. I just got everything strapped together. So all I'd have to do is throw it onto my pack and, and head out. And I went to retrieve my arrow and I picked the arrow up. And the first thing I always do is inspect the broadhead, and it was it was clean. Um, there was I could not detect any blood at all on the broadhead. I uh, looked down the shaft, and lo and behold, there about three inches from the back of the broadhead, from a for a, for a space on the arrow about I'd say two and a half to three inches long. There's a little bit of blood there. And when I say a little bit, I'm almost talking about specks and one little smear of, of blood. It was, I've posted pictures of it. It wasn't much. And immediately I thought, yeah, it cut the leg. Um, and then as it, you know, as it bounced past it, it got a little blood on it. And I, I looked and I did find a little bit of hair that was, it was brown, which again, and it was, it was brown and it was fairly short. Um, it looked a little bit longer than I would have expected, but still that was what I thought I'd done. I thought I'd, I'd cut the leg. So I thought, you know what, in, in the spirit of, uh, fairness to the animal, I need to follow this up now because now I've got, I've got blood. So I went back, I got my bow and, uh, I, I left the arrow, uh, standing in the ground where, you know, at the point of the shot. So I knocked another arrow and I figured I was just going real slow and methodically. I was going to try to follow what I could, if I could find blood. So I did find the first patch of blood, maybe, I don't know, five yards from the point of impact. And it was more than I was expecting. Um, I saw a few more spots in the leaves and then about, I'd say six yards from the point of impact, there's a big puddle of blood. Um, and I don't remember the animal standing still that long. It may have for a second or two, but it was a, it was a good bit of blood on the ground. And then I looked in the direction that I 
that I knew he had traveled from that spot and there's blood everywhere. I mean, it was, and again, I've posted video, I've posted pictures. It was a solid trail of blood approximately, I don't know, four to six, six to eight inches wide. Um, and I thought this is, this is crazy. Um, and I really didn't know what to think of it. I didn't, you know, I didn't think, did I cut an artery along the leg? I mean, that would have been a long shot on the, on the front leg, hit anything that would bleed this much. So then I got to thinking, well, did it somehow puncture the chest just enough that it nicked the heart? Where You know, I didn't, I didn't know. So I started following this animal. Um, and this is, you know, I've really struggled with whether or not I want to, I want to go into detail here about this. And I definitely am struggling about the video. Um, but when I, so I went approximately 50 more yards and there lay the buck. And, you know, I remember when I walked up on it, I thought this look, it just looked weird because it looked like he just walked and fell over. There was no leaves kicked up. It was very dry that morning. I didn't hear him kicking. It was just literally like he fell over. And when I walked around the animal, I realized what had happened. Um, so, and going, I should say, going back and looking frame by frame at the video, if you look really closely, you can see what happened. But anyway, the arrow actually hit um, at the base of the neck and it, that Simmons broadhead left just a, it, it left a brutal cut in the bottom of that, that buck's neck. Uh, it, it severed the windpipe. It did cut an artery, a major artery, obviously. And he was down in, I would say from the, from the time I shot to the time he was on the ground, couldn't have been more than 30 seconds. I would say probably closer to 20, but I'll say 30 seconds to be safe. Um, I got lucky. I got very lucky. And I've thought really about what the point here is. And I honestly don't know. I mean, I think there were a lot of factors that, that helped this be a successful ending. I think the, the, the wide broad head definitely helped, could have also hurt. Um, you know, if I'd been shooting a three to one, it may have missed the limb altogether. Uh, no way I'll ever know. Um, I definitely think the high FOC helped. The flip side of that is if I wasn't doing extreme FOC and I didn't have a really heavy arrow, it probably would have missed completely. So it's one of those situations where it was a very fine line between a wounded animal and a recovered animal. And once that arrow left the bow, especially once it hit the limb, it was out of my control, 100%. But I do think there is something to say for the arrow setup here that I truly believe that it helped me recover an animal that would have likely been lost. Um the slight flip side of that is there is a possibility that without the arrow setup I was running may not have, may, may not have even touched the animal at all. So I struggle with that a little bit. What I will say is it is, if nothing else, it is a, it is a point where it, it, 
establishes that broadhead sharpness matters. I've preached on this on multiple videos, especially on recovery videos, but that broadhead was so sharp that it, the, the, the wound that it made on such a marginal hit on an arrow that had been slowed down greatly by hitting a limb is just, it just astounds me. I mean, I still, I still have trouble believing what happened. I probably sat there staring at it for a good 30 to minute, 30 seconds to a minute trying to just take it in. I mean, it was like, it was one of those wow moments. Um, so, you know, I'd, I'd love to hear from folks. I'd love to hear your thoughts. I'd love to get emails, comment on the, uh, comment on the website, shoot me a message and, you know, on Facebook, whatever. I'd love to hear your thoughts. I think, you know, did the arrow make a difference? Absolutely. Did the broadhead make a difference and the sharpness? Absolutely. Would a different arrow setup have missed the animal altogether? Good chance. Um, so when I say I'm in a, I'm in a dilemma about it, I mean it. I mean, I, I really just, I don't know. And I've thought about it for now for over a week. Um, Beyond that, the other point that I wanted to make here, um, and I did post this on Instagram and, you know, I think the, as of last night, the, the responses that I've, that I'd gotten made me feel really good. They were, they were, they were what I wanted to see. I posted a picture of just the arrow with that little bit of that little bit of blood and said, you know, what would you do? And everybody that did comment said, I'd follow it up, but I do I have had experiences in the woods with deer that have been shot by hunters that I don't think that maybe that is the, maybe that is the norm and the rule in the traditional bow hunting community, but I don't know that it is in the hunting community in general. Um, but I will say it, it, it reinforced a belief of mine that if you, if you hit the animal in any way, you do everything you can to make sure that that animal is going to live or is recoverable. Um, and I, I remember I, I sent Jamie Burkhead, um, who actually built Yankee, the bow that I was hunting with a message and we were trading messages back and forth. And, and he's, I mean, right out of the gate, he was like, how many people would have picked up that arrow, looked at it, shrugged it off, put it in their quiver and, and just left. And, I don't know. I'm not going to, I'm not going to speculate on numbers, but I have helped enough people track animals to know that a lot of people, you know, if, if that animal doesn't show up in 50 yards, they just write it off. And I think I've actually brought this up on the podcast one time that, uh, you know, I, I trailed a buck after a hunter just gave up several years back and I found it and I delivered that, that deer to them. And, and I hope they learned a lesson. Um, I hope they don't make that mistake again, but you know, that, I guess that to me, that's the biggest point about what happened here is if you release an arrow and you find, if you want, if you think you hit the animal at all, and definitely if you find any evidence whatsoever that you touch that animal with your, with your broad head, do everything you can to either write it off or recover that animal. Uh, to me, that was the biggest message that I wanted to get out of this episode. Um, as far as the video, real quickly, as I wrap up, I'd love to hear people's thoughts on this too. I have not, 
I have not compiled uh, the video segments for this. The video of the hunt, there's a couple reasons why I really just don't want to uh, post this publicly. One, the way the hit looks, it just, I think it looks bad for hunter, for, for traditional bow hunters, especially, but for bow hunters in general, it's just one of those that you, you watch it and you go, how could that happen? And you, I, I should preface this by saying, if you know what you're listening for, you can hear the arrow hit the limb. Like I said, it was right out of the bow. It's immediate, but you can hear it. You can't see it. It was out of frame. The limb was completely out of frame. Um, so all you really see is this arrow flying to the wrong mark. And I struggle with putting that out there for public consumption. The other part, um, the angle of the camera in relation to my point of view makes the shot look a little bit different. It almost looks like the animal is quartering towards me more than it was. Um, and it was a slight quarter, but very, very slight. I have no doubt that if the air had gone where I intended it, it would have been right through the lungs. But again, the video angle, the video perspective, as you've probably seen in videos online before is different and it makes it look different. Um, so I don't know what I'm going to do with it yet. I think it's one of those learning experiences that's too good to pass up. I think it needs to be out there. I just don't know in what capacity. I think what I may end up doing is um, I may publish the video right up to the point where the arrow is released and stop it at that provide a little bit of context and then go into the recovery and the post recovery footage. I, I just don't know yet. I'm I'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, I, I just have a hard time putting anything out there that I think could be viewed negatively, uh, and reflect negatively on bow hunting or traditional bow hunters, uh, specifically. So I hesitate to do it. Um, it did have a happy ending. Um, but, yeah. Anyway, I struggle with it. So I'd love to hear what you think. Again, shoot me a message, leave a comment on the website, shoot me an email, bowhunterga at gmail.com. Um, I'd just love to hear your thoughts on it. Uh, and I am probably going to be reaching out to Jason Samkoviak and having a, a lengthy discussion with him as well. I value his thoughts. I'd love to hear what he thinks about it. Um, and then I'll go from there. So you may see the video, you may not, you may see uh, sections of the video. We'll see. I just, I just don't know yet, but anyway, I'm a little bit over on this episode. What I intended, I really wanted to keep it around 30 minutes. So thank you for putting up with my, my rabbit trails, my tangents, um, my thought process as I'm walking through this, but, um, I hope it's, I hope it's been beneficial. I hope maybe some people have, have maybe not learned anything, but maybe it's given you uh, something to think about. Uh, still have, um, well, I still have almost two months left if I choose to, if I choose to hunt it, but I would say I'm probably at the point right now where I've got about a month of season left. I don't know that I'll hunt any into January, even though I can, uh, I think my focus may shift to pigs at that time, depending on what I can line up. Um, and again, looking forward to Tom being here in a little over a week and hopefully we have some success. I've got some good stuff, uh, planned, some good locations planned for when Tom gets here. 
So if the weather will permit, we can manage to get some some time in the woods because um, it is going to be a working week for both of us. We're going to be you know hunting maybe some in the early morning, some in the late afternoon, and then I think we've got roughly two weekend days that we can get in full day hunts. But uh, until next time, again, thank you everyone for for tuning in. Thank you for listening, and please, if you've got a thought or a comment, find a way to share it with me. I'd love to hear it. Until next time, hope you have a very successful rest of your season. Hope you're moving into the holidays and looking forward to uh, time with friends and family and maybe some additional time in the woods for the holidays. And I will have another episode for you very soon. Take care, all.